Welcome to the Teaching with Inquiry live podcast replay, fitting it all together to make inquiry-based learning accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. Tonight, I want to talk about blending the things we learned about digital teaching with what's going to happen in the fall with our in-class learning. I think it's important that we look at the things that we learned and grew as teachers when we were forced to go into 100% digital teaching and how we can blend that with what's going to happen in our classrooms in the fall. I think it's important that we do this because at any point in time, we could face the reality of needing to flip back into 100% distance learning, and we need to be prepared for that. So I want to look at how we can blend these two together to keep it super simple, because that really is our goal. We, most of us, do not have 80 and 100 extra hours in the week that we can be reinventing the wheel here. We can use the same strategies that we've always used in the classroom we can blend it with some of these digital teaching tools to make our teaching work regardless of what and where we happen to be teaching. So thank you so much for joining me. My name is Patty and I'm the teacher blogger behind madlylearning.com and ignitedliteracy.com. And I have a new video that comes out every Monday night at 9 p.m. and we talk about all things teaching in the junior grades. And it is my hope that we can work together to make teaching and learning both fun and engaging for both you and your students in all of your subject areas. So again, tonight's focus is let's blend those two different types of teaching together, but keep it super simple so that we can actually get stuff done without perhaps killing ourselves with spending all of the extra time that we don't need to be spending on prepping and planning for every actuality and event. So I have about eight different things that I think we can take what we learned in the spring and we can blend it together with what we've traditionally done in the classroom to make our teaching seamless regardless of when and where we happen to be teaching. So the first is using learning management tools. Pretty much all of us were forced to move into using digital learning management tools, whether it was Google Classroom, Seesaw, D2L, or a variety of other things such as MS Teams. There's lots of learning platforms out there, and we all used them. But I think we can continue to use them. In fact, I know we can continue to use them, even though we might have our students sitting in front of us in class. Using a learning management tool such as Google Classroom or D2L is going to be a great way to keep your assignments organized. It also helps those students that are using digital tools to keep their assignments organized as well without you constantly needing to rely on paper usage all of the time. So by putting your assignments, so when you assign a math activity, creating a hand-in folder that is both digital and live and in person, so your traditional hand-in pins, but also creating a digital hand-in bin can help you organize those tools. We have students that are using technology and we can embrace them and understand that not every student needs to hand in 
both a paper copy or a digital copy, but we can accept either or. And allowing our students to hand in digital versus pencil and paper copies will mean that we have less things to take home, but it also means that we can keep things organized. We can also use that learning management tool even for students handing it in pencil and paper. They can use it as an accountability tool to check off that they've completed their assignments. These learning management tools are a great way to keep students accountable because they can see exactly what's due and when it is due, and it also helps to communicate to parents what exactly is happening in the classroom because they can see that assignments are done or not done. It also gives us the ability that if we are thrust back into distance learning, we've already spent the time in class training our students how to use these learning management tools, which means we can then transition our students a little bit more seamlessly into using these tools because they already know how to get their assignments, how it's organized, and how to navigate through it because you've supported them in class walking them through that. My second tip is to keep it simple. Can I be real with you for a second? Planning elaborate Google Slides presentations, while makes me happy as a teacher, I didn't really see much more from my students in terms of work or work quality. In fact, the feedback from my own personal students and from some other teachers that I've talked to was that they actually didn't prefer it. Parents even preferred it less. I want to keep it simple. And that means that I want to have an assignment that I assign students that can be used in a multiple, that can be used in multiple ways. I want the same assignment to be fillable on a tablet, on a computer, printable, in paper, in a work pack, or whatever it happens to be in the classroom. I want it to be accessible to all of those types of options. The best and simplest way that I have found to do that is through using a PDF. And I will link you to the video I did in the spring that talked about using how to specifically use a PDF as a digital tool. But if I have most of my documents in either a PowerPoint file or a PDF file, I can make sure that that is easily transferable, whether I pop that into a Google slide as a background and have students annotate over top of it, whether I print that out for my students, or whether we're using apps such as Kami, GoodNotes, or Notability to allow students to write on those PDFs. It means that I plan one thing and it can be used in multiple ways, in multiple situations. It doesn't mean that I'm spending all of this time creating hyperdocs or creating elaborate Bitmoji classrooms that are often difficult to navigate, confusing for students and for parents, and it simply is a ton of work for not the same amount of return. At this point in time, I'm all about return on investment. If I can get the same quality of work from my students, and I put in a simple effort to get that, why would I triple my time investment in prepping and planning for not as much return? So if I were to plan a Bitmoji classroom and I spent hours on that and it increased my engagement three times, so if three times the effort on my part, it increased engagement in my students multiplied by three over what I normally got, 
then okay, I'm all in. But frankly, what I found was the simpler I was able to give instructions to students, I maintained engagement and I got quality work. I didn't actually see a difference in the quality of work from my students, whether I had an elaborate setup on Google Slides or a simple to-do list. And for that reason, why am I killing myself and spending all of these extra hours prepping and planning for these classrooms when I'm not getting the return on investment from the student end? So I want to keep it simple. I want to do enough that allows students to be successful at their work. And I want to keep it simple and straightforward. And that's whether or not I am in the classroom or I'm at home teaching. I want to keep it simple and easy. We would often probably not, standing in front of our students, give them an elaborate Google slide to work through with multiple steps and different things to touch and different things to manipulate because it would be a bit of chaos and they would all have a million questions. So if we wouldn't do it in class, then we probably shouldn't do it online either. And I know you can be super mad and give me all the angry face emojis because you loved making them. And I get that. But do you, is it sustainable? Do you have time to do it? And does it give you the return on investment in terms of engagement and work quality from your students? If not, then why are you doing it? Number three, one of the things that I have always done to keep my assessment organized and to make sure that I've gathered enough data is using the ability to take pictures, videos, and audio recording. Now we did that a little bit digitally because we really only could see what they sent us. So we were gathering data with a lot of pictures or we were using our video conferences as opportunities for assessment because we could see the student through video. We can do the same thing in our classrooms. Instead of walking around and taking checklists all of the time for our students, we can take pictures, record videos, and record audio. Taking pictures of students' pages and worksheets and storing them on your school board's, school board's website or your assessment tool that you have on your school board supplied device, creating videos of students doing guided reading or them answering things or their performance task, especially in math centers when they're doing that STEM activity center, taking videos and photos of the things that they're doing and conversations that you might have with students is a great way to collect data. It's not always going to be organized right away, but you have the collection of data and you can organize it at the end of the day or at the end of the week. You can use your assessment tools such as a Docio or Markboard and you can use those to track your data. Seesaw also gives you the same opportunity to be able to take photos of students' work and store it in their, say, portfolio. This is a great way to capture information on your students on the go and on the fly to make sure that when you do finally sit down to do those final assessments, you have lots of evidence in their file or in their portfolio that you can use. And it's not just simply pencil and paper assessments, 
but it's also live observations and conversations that you were having with students along the way that helps to validate your marks. So I think it's something we should continue to do as teachers is to use our digital tools to be able to capture the learning as they go. I know kindergarten teachers are fabulous at this and I think it works as we go up in the grade levels as well. That being said, I think we need to delineate where we store our files. And we should have two separate file storage places for our life as teachers. We used a lot of digital tools in the spring and we stored a lot of digital files and organization was probably a bit of a mess because for many of us, we weren't used to using all of the digital tools all of the time. But I do think going forward, we need to be very practical in how we are using our digital storage and how we store our digital files. As for cloud storage, I am a big proponent of not storing everything on your computer and storing lots of things on the cloud. Number one, it makes all of your documents accessible regardless of what device you're using. It means you can access your worksheets and lessons and unit plans and assessment material, whether you're on your tablet, your laptop, or your phone. Or you have to use a school board dinosaur computer to access it after you wait like the 15 minutes for it to load up. But it means that everything's accessible when we store our files on the cloud. However, as teachers, we should have two separate silos in which we store our files. Number one, all material collected on students and student data should definitely be stored only on your school board provided cloud storage systems. So if your school board provides you with a Google Drive account, then you should be capturing all of those assessment photos, you should be tracking all of those videos, anything you're capturing that has student data on it should be stored within your school board account. However, on the flip side, anything you create yourself, anything that you purchase with your personal funds should be stored in your own personal account. It's the same reason we don't use our school board email for personal correspondence. We need to keep our professional life and our personal life separate. And we need to keep those files separate too. If you create something or you purchase something with your own funds, it should be stored in your own personal files. And if you do need to use something in your personal files at school, then you simply share from one account to another, and the, but the original ownership lies in there. One of the reasons we do this is number one, you own the content in your own device, in your own storage file system. It's yours. When you save files to your school board file system, so your school board Google Drive account, it's owned by your school board. It means they can change their mind and switch service providers, switch cloud services, and you lose access to your data. It also means at any point in time, any administrator or any IT department, person in IT department can access anything within your school board account. It's not yours, it's theirs. So we need to try to keep that separate. And when we're thinking about organizing all of the files that we're going to be using, because we're using way more tech files when teaching, 
then we need to make sure that we have two separate systems, a personal system and a school system. And we keep the things that we create personally and that we own personally separate from the material that happens to live in our school board account and student information. So I do think it's important to keep those two pieces separate. Number five, I know that there are some people that will tell you differently, but we are living in 2020. Email, audio, video, photos are not as scary as some might lead you to believe. And I want you to let that sink in. It is perfectly safe and okay for you to record yourself, to take pictures of yourself, to take pictures of your classroom, to take, not pictures of your students unless you have permission, but to take photos of your lessons, to talk with your students on video. The, the probability of something negative happening to that is very slim. And I would encourage all teachers to put themselves out there and remember that if we are thrust into teaching digitally again, that students need synchronous learning. They need teachers teaching. We cannot just provide students with activities for them to do with zero instruction from us. They need us teaching them. Whether we're doing that live in small groups or whole groups, or we are recording a lesson, chatting with students, whether it's just audio back and forth, we need to have the opportunity to engage in synchronous learning, to engage our students when they're teaching digitally. Now, as we're talking about blending that learning, I still think it's important that we use these tools when we're actually in the classroom. One of the benefits for many of my students is if I take the time to record me in teaching them a procedural event. So if I'm teaching them a multiplication strategy and while I'm teaching them, I throw on my document camera or use my iPad to record me teaching that lesson and I throw that up on our learning management tool, it means that my students can re-watch that video over and over and over again until they understand it or at least it might take them a couple of times for it to sink in, but it also allows them to slow it down, to pause, to try. It's really beneficial for students to see a lesson retaught without you necessarily needing to reteach it. Because we might not be able to do lots of guided instruction, Allowing students to re-watch a lesson over and over might be helpful for some of our students if they need multiple opportunities before they're going to get it. And it's as simple as putting your iPad on like a box above a writing platform or putting your phone or if you've got a document camera and projecting that so your students are there watching you teach 
and you are simply hitting the record button and filming what's happening so that students can watch it later. This can happen in shared reading. This can happen in math, which is great. In science, if you're trying to demonstrate a science concept or you're doing an experiment and perhaps students can't quite see it from their distance desks, if you have that video and you record it, they can watch it from different angles and see it at different opportunities, see it at different times, and it allows you to make that more accessible for more students. Why not? Why not record ourselves? Why not give our students multiple opportunities to see the same lesson? It means that we're not necessarily reteaching that same lesson over and over and over again, that students have that opportunity. They can also watch it at home, especially for math. Filming you instructing on using new math is really helpful for parents because they can watch it too and learn why you're doing what you're doing or at least help their children with that new math strategy. And that new math of course, it's still in the math curriculum, which made me chuckle. I also think that it's important while we should be on video and while we shouldn't be afraid of having audio or video lessons, I think it's also important that we collaborate with another teacher. If we are going digital, one of the things I valued the most of going digital in the spring is that I didn't do it alone. And I had my prep coverage teachers and I had other teachers joining into my classroom to help me out. So it wasn't just me and my students, but it was me and my co-teachers helping all of the students. Now, did I do a bulk of the instructing? Absolutely. But having that help to come in, whether it's just someone simply following up with a student who's not attending, or whether or not it's assisting you in running whole group class videos, perhaps even collaborating with another teacher so that you're not planning everything. We can use our digital tools to collaborate. So if you are the only grade five teacher in your school and you want to find another grade five teacher, you can do that. We have the ability and are pretty much experts now at using video conferencing to talk to other people. So we can collaborate even with teachers that are not at our schools. So if you are looking to work with another teacher, reach out to somebody online. It doesn't even have to be somebody that you know right now. It can be somebody that you're just about to meet. If you are in the Teaching with Madly Learning Facebook group and you want to connect with other people that are teaching the same grade as you, put an announcement out there and say, who wants to collaborate? You can collaborate your ideas, you can talk about what's happening, you can talk about your assessment, you can support one another, and you might even be able to collaborate on your lessons or even have pen pal buddies if you do have to go virtual again and collaborate together by combining your classes. That obviously would need to be run by all of your administrators, but it's an idea that just popped into my head. We know sometimes that technology is scarce in our classrooms. And for that reason, I think what we have learned is that kids, a lot of kids, 
can use digital tools pretty competently and have access to some tools. So if you are able to, I would encourage you to embrace a bring your own device model where you allow your students to bring their device into the classroom. Now, some students might not have devices and some parents might not be comfortable with this. But if you have five or six students in your classroom of 24 that are able to bring in their own device, that is five or six shared devices that no longer need to be shared with those students because they can bring in their own. Especially at the junior grade, parents become more and more comfortable, especially as the years go on, and they may be even more comfortable after seeing their students using digital tools in the springtime, may be more comfortable with sending their students to school with a device. Allowing your students to bring their own device into school will help to alleviate some of the stress of shared technology in the classroom. Some of your students may have provincially supplied um, special education devices. You may have shared devices that are just assigned to your classroom but are supposed to be shared among students. And bringing your own device in will allow you to spread those very small school board supplied devices a little bit further because you don't have to share them amongst so many students. Allowing students to bring in devices over the last six years in my classroom has meant that I've had times where I've had one-to-one, even though my school only provided me with eight iPads, with students that had special education supplied iPads, as well as the students bringing in their own device, I have generally been able to supply a two-to-one ratio of technology to students or even a one-to-one device ratio when I needed it the most. In my class of 36, we actually were able to get up to a one-to-one device ratio because I had quite a few students bringing in their own devices, which alleviated some of these shared devices, meaning that they didn't have to be shared. We know that using digital is going to be a component of our teaching going forward. So if we can alleviate any of the stress of not provide, if we can't provide every student with one-to-one, allowing a bring your own device program into your classroom will help you to alleviate some of that stress. Now I know what you might be thinking. The management of that might be a nightmare. Students will bring in their own devices and they'll take them everywhere and they'll play it with it. You have to be pretty strict with a bring your own device program as to what students are allowed to do, when they're allowed to use it, and what that looks like. No, I do not provide any security for my students. They are responsible for their own device. Yes, they may store it in the iPad cart, but it is not locked for that reason because I do not ensure the security of anyone's devices coming in. Do parents need to send them in? Absolutely not. I also encourage that all fun apps are stored in a folder on the device that makes it less appealing for them to look at and it's a one strike you're out rule which means if I catch you during learning time using an app that is not allowed then the iPad is taken away and you lose that privilege of bringing in your own device. Because that students are pretty responsible most of the time 
And I've had to very rarely ban students from bringing in their own devices into the classroom over the last couple of years. So I would encourage you to give it a try and trust that it can work because it will help to alleviate some of that stress of shared devices in your classroom. Finally, my last tip is marking digitally. Now I know we talked a little bit about taking those photos and videos, but I also think that it's important that we have our students hand in their work digitally and we mark it digitally. So even if they're writing it out, they can take a picture of that and hand it in to you, but you can mark it digitally. So again, even if they hand in a piece of paper, I can put their mark on my learning platform, even if I don't have their work on the learning platform. So if they hand me their notebook, I can still use the rubric tools within Google Classroom or D2L. I can still mark it and use the comment feature and comment because I can take a photo of their work and comment on different aspects of their work and use those digital tools. I find the digital marking software such as the ability to mark things on Google Classroom to be simple and easy and time-saving. It means I'm not juggling piles of student work, but I can also mark it on the go. I can mark a student's writing right on my phone as I'm in my van waiting for my girls to finish dance. I can mark a student's video presentation right there on my iPad during my prep. It's easy to take the material on the go with you so that you don't have to have these big, handfuls or armfuls of stuff that you are bringing home each and every day to mark. Plus, I don't know about you, but I'm probably not going to be wanting to bring home notebooks, even if we can bring home notebooks um, to be marking. So marking digitally means you can bring some of your marking home to do it so that you're not staying hours and hours after school marking the things that are there. It also provides you a bit of a touchless ability to mark your students' work because they can take photos of what they did, hand it in digitally, and then you can see their work without needing to touch their notebooks if that happens to be a limitation that is placed on us going forward. So those are just a few of my tips at how we can blend the digital learning that we experienced in the fall, but we can blend that with our traditional in-class teaching so that we can have a seamless transition. We can make our work just a little bit easier. We can be prepared and ready for any eventuality or any situation where our teaching circumstances might change, and we can keep it super simple. We don't need to have overly complicated digital tools. Yes, it's digital, but it's supposed to make our life easier. It is not supposed to make our life more complicated. But sometimes it requires us to reframe how we think about what teaching should look like in our classroom and how we go about doing some things. If we look positively, one silver lining in that cloud, dark, dark cloud of the digital learning in the spring was that we were forced and pushed to learn new things really quickly. And now we need to take the best of the things that we had to do in the spring and we can use it to make our life in the fall a little bit simpler and easier and more transitional so that we can flip back and forth regardless of the teaching situation that we might face in the fall. 
So I hope this is giving you some ideas about how we can go forward and plan our activities to keep it super simple so that we are not totally overwhelming ourselves come September 8th. So thank you so much for joining me. I will be back next Monday night as we are talking all about teaching and learning in the junior grades. Thank you so much for joining me and we will see you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Inquiry Live podcast replay. You can find the links, resources, and more information from today's episode at www.teachingwithinquiry.com. Don't forget, you can always catch this show live on Facebook every Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Madly Learning Facebook page. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Inquiry Live.